So I want to welcome you all to City Church. This is a place where everyone's welcome because no one is perfect. My name is Marcus. Hey, Travis. See you back there. Um, and I'm one of the pastors here, and we've been in a series that we've called The Greatest Sermon of All Time. Now, that's not because I'm preaching. That's because we're studying Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7, which has historically been called The Greatest Sermon Ever Preached by the Greatest Preacher Who Ever Lived. So what we've been seeing here week after week, and I'm sure that you guys may be seeing it as well um, if you've been joining us, is that God is continuing to work through his word. All right, you know, just finding my limits over here. He's continuing to work through his word. And this is what he does. This is what he promises to do. All right, so week after week, as we started Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, we see that he, he goes up onto a mountain to teach his disciples. But we know it's not just his disciples that are listening to this sermon, right? The, the crowds are listening. They're eavesdropping, essentially. But Jesus starts with the introduction or the preamble known as the Beatitudes. And it's here that we see the first four Beatitudes deal entirely with inner principles, principles of the heart, principles of the mind. The last four are the um, outer manifestations of those things, right? So if God has transformed my mind and my heart, what I will do, what I will think, what I will say will change, amen? Amen. Okay. So what we need to understand if, as we keep going through this is that Jesus is not teaching men and women how to be saved, what to do in order to be a citizen of the kingdom, Right, that was first century Judaism. Do this and you will be this. No, Jesus is saying, he's teaching his disciples how kingdom citizens live. Right, because you are a citizen of the kingdom, this is how you're to live. And we see right at the beginning, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So it's this intellectual awareness that I cannot save myself. This knowledge that there's nothing that I can do, there's nothing that I can say, there's nothing that does anything to earn me any favor or any, any um, grace or any mercy in light of my salvation. Right? So, so I don't need to do in order to be saved. I need to be a poor and desperate and sorrowful beggar before God. Amen? All right, and then when that information that I can't save myself uh, is here and it travels down to here, I begin to mourn, right? That's verse four. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. When I mourn over my sin and the sinful condition that has caused me to become a spiritual beggar before God, it crushes me. I can't save myself. There's nothing I can do about it. And then what? In verse five, I fall meek before a holy God willfully submitting to his will and his way, his lordship, his reign, and his rule. And because I'm a spiritual beggar, I hunger and thirst for a righteousness that I have to have and that only he can give. And in mercy, verse seven, God satisfies my hunger and thirst. Then and only then does he make us pure in heart in verse eight. And then when you're pure in heart, you'll naturally be a peacemaker. And when you're a peacemaker, you'll see 
that you'll have conflict in the world. Right, we understand that the peacemakers aren't the, necessarily the policemen or the diplomats that travel around the world and make treaties and everything else, but no, these are the people, the men and women, the, the kingdom citizens who go and share the gospel of peace, who reconcile man to God and man to his fellow man. These will be persecuted. And that's where we're at today. We're in verse 10, our last and final beatitude. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and join me in Matthew 5, verse 10. Starting in verse 10, Jesus says this, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Lord, week after week, we have seen how you work through your word, how you transform us by your spirit as we study the word that that you breathed, that you inspired. It's more than just basic instructions before leaving earth. It's much more than that. And let us approach it as much more than that today as we uh, prepare to study your word. Let us be transformed by it. We ask that your, that your spirit would have freedom in this place um, to search us and know us, to reveal to us the scriptures so that we might live how you want us to live and be who you want us to be. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so we see that this is the eighth and final beatitude, right? Well, you just read three verses, and I know it's a little bit different, but we see that verse 10, blessed are those, it starts very similar to verse six, right? Verse six, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Starts very similarly, right? Okay, so that's definitely a beatitude, but we see in verse 11 and 12 that Jesus personalizes it with you. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. So we might understand then that verse 10 is the beatitude, the eighth and final one. Verses 11 and 12 are an expansion or a commentary on it. Amen? We tracking? Okay. All right. All right. Not waking up, yeah. But here's what Jesus wants his disciples to understand. That when, or or as rather, as they live out the Beatitudes, as they reflect the kingdom of God and his righteousness on earth as it is in heaven, they invite persecution into their lives. Does that make sense? Like, Like as you start living like a kingdom citizen, the world's gonna persecute you. In John 15, 18 through 20, he reminds his disciples this. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. 
Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on, my, or on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. They don't know God in saving faith. They did it to me. So they'll do it to you. That's the reminder. So are we surprised when we read about persecution uh, in the New Testament church as we read through the New Testament? Are we surprised by it? Are we surprised when we see varying degrees of persecution throughout church history? Are we surprised when we hear that that right now there are 360 million Christians who face high levels of persecution today. That's one in seven who are persecuted worldwide. That's one in five who are persecuted in Africa. That's two in five who are persecuted in Asia. One in 15 in Latin America. And then last year, last year, 5,898 Christians were killed for their faith around the world. 5,110 were attacked 6,175 were detained. Are we surprised? A servant's not greater than his master. If they did it to me, they'll do it to you. So Jesus doesn't want his disciples to be surprised. He doesn't want them to be surprised when persecution comes. Okay? And this is Paul's conclusion in 2 Timothy 3, 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So we should be surprised when we see the world and the church harm, or harmoniously coexist. We should be surprised when we see the world and the church harmoniously coexist. What might that indicate to us? That the church is reflecting the world more than it is the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you because you're not of this world. But if you reflect the world, they're not going to bother you. Now, we don't have a, a, a suffering or a persecution complex. That's not what I'm suggesting here, right? I'm, what I'm saying is that the Beatitudes and the, the lifestyle, the ethics and morals that Jesus teaches that characterize his citizens is so Contrary to the world, the world's self-assertive, self-confident, self-reliant, self-ambitious, self-seeking, like self. Even when we talk about peace, it's on our terms, right? Peace is if you're not attacking me. It doesn't matter how it worked out for everybody else. Right? It, let's just say our self-consumed culture the Beatitudes that Jesus is talking or teaching here, the, the morals and the ethics that he teaches through the Sermon on the Mount and that all scripture teaches, they are so radically contrary to the world system that you're, we're gonna be persecuted, right? Now, I know what you're thinking. No, Marcus, no, we're, you know, that's, that's not true. The church and the world can harmoniously coexist and I agree when the Lord renews heaven and earth, when he returns, uh, we're gonna coexist harmoniously. 
but any other time I just don't see it. Now we, we try to disguise this or veil this, um, our compromising of God's standards with words like grace and love and peace and what would Jesus do and all these other things, right? But God's standards do not change. That's where somebody should say amen. amen. God's standards do not change. So neither should ours as kingdom citizens. If Jesus is the king of this heavenly kingdom and we submit to his rule and reign, if we are to reflect the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven, then we should not compromise his standards to accommodate, to appease, to to satisfy Others. Now, I'm not saying be harsh, be ugly. We're gonna talk about that. We'll get there. But here's what Martin Luther says, and, and, I, and I think it's very important right now. Truth, or sorry, peace if possible, truth at all costs. Peace if possible, truth at all costs. John 16, Jesus says this, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, here we go, in the world, You will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That's good news. Y'all are, man, y'all are sleeping. Can we wake up? That's good news. In me, you'll have peace, but you will have tribulation here. I have overcome the world. All authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. This is good news. Amen. We serve the king. Thanks, Deb. Love you. Appreciate it. Now let's look at verses 10 through 12 again and what we see are three specific types of affliction that believers will endure for the, the, for the name or for the, the sake of righteousness, right? For Jesus' namesake or for the sake of righteousness. And those are physical persecution, verbal insults, and false accusations. So we'll talk about those three. And we'll start with physical persecution. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That word in the Greek, persecution, is dioko, and it basically means chasing, driving away, or pursuing. Chasing, driving away, or pursuing. And from that meaning developed the implication that physical persecution, harassment, abuse, or any other kind of unjust treatment. Right, we just read the numbers. You guys heard them, I read them. We know that physical persecution is a real thing. It seeks to intimidate, to silence, to punish, or even kill. And the way that it reads in the Greek is that the the believer who possesses the qualities of the Beatitudes also possesses a willingness to endure persecution for the name of Christ. That's how it reads in the Greek. So, Near the end of the first century, the only apostle alive was the apostle John who was exiled to the island of Patmos, later released. Uh, Tradition holds that he died in Ephesus at the end or early second century. But by the end of the first century, here's what the uh, Roman Empire did, right? They covered most of the known world. And unity was hard to maintain, right? You have all different peoples, colors, Tribes, tongues, all this other stuff, right? So they needed to maintain unity. So what they did was they instituted this 
thing that you did annually, right? You'd go in public and you would announce that Caesar is Lord. And for that, you'd get a certificate. And then you could worship whatever other gods, as long as you submitted to the lordship of Caesar. Caesar was above all of the other gods and everything else. Once you acknowledged him, once you submitted to his rule and reign, once you submitted to him as Lord, you could do whatever you want. Now, faithful Christians, they didn't do this. Now, I say faithful, I qualify it with that word because there were Christians who they sent their slaves in to acquire their certificates. They tried to bribe others to get their certificates, and some just flat out said, I'm not doing it. If you had that certificate, that meant that you submitted to Caesar or the emperor's uh, lordship, his rule and his reign. Not just like a president, like not the same, like as God. Faithful Christians said, nope, Jesus is Lord, and that's it. So because of this, they uh, were tortured, they were beaten, they were uh, had their property confiscated, they were, uh, lost their jobs, they were imprisoned, and some were even thrown into arenas to be slayed publicly by gladiators. Some had animal skins woven into their skin and sent out and chased by dogs for entertainment. Others were used as human torches to light dinner parties. Because you wouldn't go publicly once a year and just say whatever they wanted you to say. You wouldn't submit to anything other than Jesus' lordship. Well, I mean, they're just words, right, Marcus? I don't want to lose my job. I don't want to go into the, you know, get slain by a gladiator. It's inconvenient, right? Full life to live. But here's what Tertullian, uh, uh, an apologist in the second century, here's what he wrote. He said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The blood of the martyrs, the blood of those who die for the name of Jesus is the seed of the church. You want to know how the church grows? Yes, it's the Holy Spirit 100%. But the, the witness that they had, the when people were like, man, why are these people dying because they won't say this stupid thing? I don't believe it either, but I say it. They're like, no, Jesus is Lord, I'm not doing it. And I'm willing to die because of it. So the next that we're gonna see is verbal insults, right? You wanna be a peacemaker? Well, you're gonna be persecuted physically and you're also gonna be verbally uh, insulted which is that word revile. I would try to say it in the Greek, but I don't want to embarrass myself, like typically happens once a week or so. But it literally means to cast one's teeth and carries the idea um, of seriously insulting, casting abusive words in the face of the opponent to mock viciously, right? We know what this means, right? You're getting reviled when you cut somebody off and they let you know it when they roll down their window and just blast you, Right? Following his arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus stood before the Sanhedrin and was spat upon, beaten, and taunted. Matthew 26, 67, and 68. Then they spit in his face and struck him. Some slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, you Christ, who is it that struck you? 
And then he goes to a subsequent trial by uh, Pilate, and he's again beaten, spit, on, or spit upon, mocked by the Roman soldiers. Mark 15, 19 and 20. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. So here is Jesus, the the king of this kingdom, who's not only physically persecuted, he's not only verbally insulted, but as we'll see, he's also falsely accused. Right, And, and the false accusations, they utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. These are primarily abusive, slanderous, and wicked words said behind somebody's back. Right? It's, it's that stuff that people say about you behind your back because you're a Christian, because you live the way that you live, because you believe the way that you believe, because you say the things that you say. And we'll talk about those in a second. But Jesus knew that people were talking about him behind his back. Matthew eleven nineteen, the son of man came eating and drinking and they say, there it is, who's they? Amen. Yeah, but you know, it's always they. Right, you know, man, I was at the store the other day and they were saying, and they, like, I'm, when we find out who they is, we'll be all right. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look at him, a glutton, a drunkard, and a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Now we're like, Oh, he's just a, they're just saying that he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. What they're saying is that he cannot be the Messiah because he's defiled. That's what they're saying. They're rejecting his identity completely with this slanderous talk, these false accusations. So I don't want to just read past this like, oh, he's just saying that he hangs out with a rough crowd. What's wrong with that? No, this is like directly attacking his identity, who he proclaims himself to be which is no short than the Messiah, no short than the Son of Man, no short than the Christ, uh, no shorter than Lord and Savior, King of the Kingdom. So if they said these things about Jesus, right, they physically persecuted him, they uh, verbally attacked him, and they falsely accused him, what should we expect for us? What's that? Amen. But what I like about this is Jesus led by example completely. Like he's not just some guru who's like just, you know, I'm going to give you the four steps to live a kingdom life and you got to buy my book for the fifth. Like he's, he's telling us before it happens, hey, this is what's going to happen. This is the way. You live, if you're a kingdom citizen and you live the way that that I'm telling you kingdom citizens live, then this is what's gonna happen. And you wanna see the best example? I'll show it to you. Not only will I show it to you, but but I'll remind you of it constantly. I'll give you my spirit who who puts a, 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 just a, a, a desire in you to, to not only know me, but to grow in your relationship with me, to grow in your knowledge and love for me, to share my death and resurrection with others. You'll be reminded of it constantly because it'll be on your lips and because it's on your lips, you're gonna suffer the same things that I do.
Now, we need to be careful because this isn't just a blanket statement that excuses all of our disrespectful, ugly, bitter actions, attitudes, behaviors, and words. It does not excuse that, right? Because some of us, myself included, will read a passage of scripture in a way that is so offensive or indirectly attacking somebody that it's not of any value. I'm not saying we don't confront sin, but I'm saying we do it lovingly always, and this statement isn't the statement. It's not a blanket statement that covers our disrespectful attitudes, behaviors, and words. Amen? All right. But here's what we need to understand, that through affliction, God drives us from the dangers of self-trust and self-reliance to the safety and trust of him. 2 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Don't miss that. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Why are you going through all this? To teach us not to rely on ourselves, but God who raises the dead. Through pain, God develops us in hope, holiness, and endurance. Romans 5, 3 through 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces what? Endurance, and endurance produces character. Come on, I'm, y'all read it. Character, and character produces <laughs> hope. All right, we're getting there. And hope does not put us to what? Shame. Shame. We're getting there, praise God. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Through pain, God teaches us not to rely on ourselves, but through him, or on him. And he develops in us hope, holiness, and endurance. Now, we're not to go seek persecution. We're not to go provoke persecution, like we were just talking about. And the idea here is not not necessarily that opposition, ridicule, or persecution will be constant, but that whenever... Uh, They come because of our faith. We should not be surprised or resentful. Jesus does not want his disciples to be surprised. When you live like a kingdom citizen, when you reflect the beatitudes and the righteousness of God in your life, he doesn't want you to be surprised what's gonna happen, how the world's gonna react. Instead, he wants us to rejoice and be glad. Now, if you're like me, if you're, how many honest people do we have in the house? Praise God. No one raised their hand. And that's kind of the thing, right? But, you know, you wouldn't know anyways. But we're to rejoice and be glad. And this is so not only contradictory to the first century world, but it was also contradictory, or it's also contradictory to today. The American life is one of comfort and convenience and happiness, and that's what we pursue, right? Peace, happiness, joy, love, all these things you know, the things that you put on your wall? The picture frames? Come on, somebody. Amen. Amen. Eat, drink, and be merry. Right? So, 
he doesn't want us to be surprised. Instead, we're to rejoice and be glad when we're physically persecuted, and here's three reasons why. Because it's evidence that you're a, citizen, or a kingdom citizen, right? It's evidence that you belong to the kingdom of heaven. It's evidence that you're a Christian. It's evidence that your, your salvation is genuine. Right, don't miss it. Opposition, ridicule, persecution for righteousness sake, for the sake of following Christ provides an assurance that your eternal home is in the kingdom. The world's not gonna persecute you if you don't reflect Jesus. The world doesn't persecute itself, but because we're not of the world, we're persecuted. Persecution provides us an assurance according to the Lord. Jesus promises, and here's the second reason, Jesus promises a great heavenly reward. He promises a great heavenly reward, and this is the blessing of all blessings, is eternal life in his presence, in the kingdom. Now, what you, if you look at your Bibles, Matthew 5, starting in verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The Beatitudes start and begin with the kingdom of heaven. This is the reward for the believer. This is the reward for those who, who are poor in spirit, who mourn over their sin, who fall meek before a holy God, right? who uh, hunger and thirst for righteousness, who cry out in mercy and receive God's mercy who he makes pure in heart, who he makes peacemakers, who uh, are then persecuted. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then in verse 11, we see that we get, uh, sorry, verse 12, we see that we get uh, heavenly rewards for your reward is great in heaven. Your reward is great in heaven. And in the fourth century, John, they called him golden mouth uh, Chrysostom, that was his name, John Chrysostom. They called him Golden Mouth. He preached so strongly uh, about sin that he offended many church officials and an empress named Eudoxia. Not sure if that's exactly how you pronounce it. Best guess. But for which he was sent before the emperor Arcadius who threatened Chrysostom with banishment if he didn't stop his uncompromising preaching. Chrysostom replied, Sire, you cannot banish me, for the world is my father's house. So Arcadius threatened him with death, and Chrysostom responded, Nay, but you cannot, for my life is hid with Christ in God. So Arcadius threatened to confiscate Chrysostom's money, possessions. Chrysostom replied, Sire, that cannot be either. My treasures are in heaven where no one can break through and steal. Arcadius, his final desperate warning was to send Chrysostom to a life of isolation, and Chrysostom's response was this, that you cannot do either. For I have a friend in heaven who has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You want to take my life? No big deal. I have eternal life. You want to take my money? That's fine. I have eternal rewards. You, like, what can you take away from me? I have everything that I have or that I need in Christ Jesus. I am totally satisfied and, and, and um, 
happily endure whatever may come because Jesus has won it all for me. And I'll get it in heaven, in his kingdom. The king will give me rewards. Chrysostom was eventually banished to Armenia and then he further went away to the eastern shores of the Black Sea, but he died before he arrived. But do you think he was worried about whatever the king could take, his life, his money, his, his friends? Like, do you think that he was worried about that? No, because the most valuable thing in his life was Christ. All right, so the third reason, right? We, we see that um, it's evidence, it gives us assurance of our salvation. Uh, we're promised a great heavenly reward. And then three, we enjoy excellent company. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You know who the world doesn't persecute? False prophets. Christians that reflect the, the world, right? So these, these prophets who, you know, they pull on the strings of the Bible and it unravels so quickly and next thing you know, you got this piecemeal Bible where it looks more like a Christian buffet than it does the God of the scriptures. That's who the world doesn't persecute. Jesus says this in Luke 6, 26, woe to you when all people speak well of you for so their fathers did to the false prophets. You know who the world doesn't persecute? False prophets. Now I wanna show you guys something. Joe, we get that that slide to the show going. I wanna show you guys something and it's gonna be a little weird, right? We're calling this show and tell. But what you see right here is uh, a church in Mosul, Iraq, 2017, a special task force, U.S. allied forces, um, they were pushing ISIS back through Mosul. Came to this church, and this was hanging outside. You probably saw it in one of the pictures. So what you see here is that the church, as it looks. Now, what denomination is this? I don't know. What color were the carpets? I don't know. What Bible version do you think they read from? Don't know. But were they willing to suffer for Jesus' namesake, for righteousness' sake? Yes, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I don't need to know what denomination they are. I don't need to know what Bible they read from. I don't need to know any of that stuff because I know that they were willing to suffer whatever the cost for Jesus' namesake. So they were burned, right? They put every, ISIS put everyone into this church and burn them, and then the ones who didn't fit in there, they hung on this rope. Now, you're probably like, why do you still have that, and why are you holding it? I was a little weirded out by it too, but I was like, man, what a great reminder that my life is not my own. The day that the Lord saved me, I said, I'm done with it. I give up my life. Like, you, Lord, lead me. If, if this was the cost, sitting right outside of this door, would Jesus be worth it? If it meant losing friends, right? Because we're like ISIS. Oh, yeah, a bunch of crazy people. Yeah, you know... Radical, crazy, yeah. But these are their neighbors, their friends, their co-workers. These aren't just like some foreign fighters. They grew up with these people. 
And when the Lord saved them, they lost their friends, they lost their family members, they lost their coworkers, they lost their property, but they had brothers and sisters here at this church. They had brothers and sisters around the world. They had a mansion that, that Jesus was preparing. They had an eternal reward where neither moth or rust can corrupt. If that was the cost, standing outside of these doors, would he be worth it to you? Because if he's not, if he's not, you need to seriously consider if you're a kingdom citizen, if you're a Christian, if you are truly saved. And I'm not saying, I'm not trying to not trying to beat you up. What I'm saying is this, is that Jesus says in, in Matthew 16, 25, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And, and I think just a, a closing thought. There's a quote that says, rarely do we rise to our expectations, but more often do we fall uh, to our level of training. Rarely do we, you know, do we get up here, right? I'm just gonna get up here and I'm just gonna stroll and preach, and do, right? What's my level of training? Because that's what I'm gonna fall to. So how that relates, at least in my mind, is that if you're not living for him, you're not gonna die for him. Right? This is a daily thing, a daily commitment, not a one-time thing where you walk down an aisle and say, I got saved. I mean, it's a decision, yeah, yes, at one time where you say, I believe in Jesus' death and resurrection. I turn from my sin and believe and trust that his death paid it all. And I'm forgiven past, present, and future. But then it's daily, Right? Whoever would follow me, deny himself and pick up his cross daily and follow me. If it's not a daily thing, don't fool yourself and say that I'll gladly die for the Lord when you're not gladly living for him. Let's pray. King Jesus, this is a, a difficult Subject, undoubtedly. But we know and we trust your word that when or as we live out the beatitudes and the righteousness of God here on earth as it is in heaven, God, we know, we trust your word when it says that we will be persecuted. And we know that this is in varying degrees. Sometimes it'll be physical, yes. Other times it'll be verbal, yes. And other times it'll be behind our back. But I pray that everyone in here knows you in saving faith, that they've trusted in your death and resurrection and as they consider the cost of, of what it may mean to follow you, that they would deny themselves and take up their cross daily, that they would be willing to pay whatever the cost is of following you. 
even if that means death. And it's in your name. Amen.